following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Right, Moses is the one standing before Pharaoh with his rod, and he's striking the water, and he's pointing at the sky. And it would be very easy if we didn't have the right understanding of what was going on here to picture Moses as a superhero. Like, Moses himself did this. And God was to make very clear that that's, that's not what happened. So, uh, as we see, uh, God is very careful to remind us one more time of the humanity and ordinariness of, of, of Moses. He is not a superhero. He's not an angel. He's not a god. Uh, not a god. And so, there's this genealogy that I didn't read. I know you're all going to go home after church and read it. Um, it's good for you, right? The point of the genealogy is this. He's a very normal, ordinary person. He's an Israelite. He's one of the family. And if you know much about myths and, and uh, legends during this time, a lot of the heroes had these genealogies where they claimed, you know, some god was their dad or some goddess was their mom and they slept with some prince or some you know, person on earth. And, and so they're not normal people. But, but here, before all this takes place, uh, the author is very clear. Moses, as he writes, is very clear to say, look, I'm just a normal person. Plain old ordinary family tree, no gods in there, no superheroes in there. Thor was not related to Thor. No superpowers. So that's what this is about. He's going to make it very clear that, um, remind us one more time how this is. But Moses is reluctant. Moses doesn't even want to do this. God's going to do this. Pharaoh's going to be super stubborn here all. And, and so the question kind of comes up as we read through this, and, and I think uh, there, there are two details in the story that we'll look at that are not in, that are new. Most of us review, but there's two specific things we'll look at. Uh, and it, it, it really points to the question, why does God use Moses at all? Right? Wouldn't it be so much easier if God just did this without Moses? I mean, Moses isn't exactly bringing something to the table. Right? So why doesn't God just do it without him? That's really what this, 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 is, this is all about. Um, and it has relevance for us. It really does have relevance for us. Because uh, the, the truth of the matter is that ministry happens. The gospel happens. We, we're called to do stuff as, as fallen, frail, broken human beings. Uh, but the crazy thing in life is that in, in my life, in my life experience, almost nothing has happened. God's done almost nothing in my life that I'm aware of outside of doing it through, through people. Right? So I, I heard the gospel, not because I had a vision or a dream, but I know sometimes that happens, but I didn't experience it that way. A real life person told me the, the story of the gospel. Actually, many real life people. I wasn't disciple because I went out and lived in a cave somewhere and angels ministered to me like Elijah. Right? I was discipled by real-life people, flesh and blood people who taught and trained and, and instructed me in, in the Word. And uh, I really have to credit a lot of my spiritual growth and development to those people. I would not be who I am today if many, many people, real-life people, had not played in my life. Uh, likewise, I've been healed and greatly helped and strengthened because real life people pray very specific prayers for me. 
and got her to answer those prayers. So, so here's kind of the irony of it. Uh, all that's been done in my life because of the, the agency, the help of work, of real life people. But at the same time, I can honestly say that none of them actually did any of that. Right? I wasn't saved because of my because person. I was saved by God. I haven't grown in Christ because of people on one hand, but it's really it's the work of the Holy Spirit in me. So, so how do you balance this out? How does this work? Why, why does God do it this way? Well, this account we have to in, in, in introducing the plagues of Egypt really demonstrates and shows why God works this way. And it's important for us because it's how God will work in and through you. God wants uh, it's not just the Moses that God does this to. He wants to do this in your life. Right? He wants to make you, uh, as he did Moses, a God to Pharaoh. He wants to make you a God to the, the world we live in. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the text because of so much of it is reviewed. There's a lot of stuff here, but I'm just going to kind of briefly skim through it. Um, and, and the, by the way, the theme of this next three weeks is by this you will know. We see this throughout the plagues. Right? We'll see it this morning. Uh, the first point is the human element. Okay? There's something about the human element that is important. So let's look at this in, in, in chapter 6, verse 27. Uh, again, the genealogy emphasizes it was this Moses and this Aaron. Right? Real life people. Uh, they had characters, not fictitious, not mythological. Okay, real-life people uh, who were Israelites uh, who were following God. Verse 29, uh, what was said to them, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Okay, so simple instructions, repeat it again. We've seen this, God says, just, just tell them what I say. Right? And, and Moses comes up with the same excuse, yet again. Okay? It's like the third time, fourth time he said this. Maybe fifth or sixth time, actually. Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Okay, Moses repeated cry over and over again, and as we're about to start the plague, Moses still thinks this. God, there's no reason on earth why Pharaoh would listen to me. There's, there's nothing in me, there's nothing about my position or my status that would compel him to listen to me. I'm a nobody. Right? I'm not good speaker. I have no gift of persuasive speech, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be so eloquent and persuasive that Pharaoh's going to go, wow, I didn't really think of that. Great idea, Moses. Moses knows he has none of those skills. There's no reason to listen to what I'm going to say. And uh, chapter 7, verse 2, God is very encouraging. He says to him, that's right. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks. God's saying, this is not about you, Moses. You're not the one who's going to do this. You're right. Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. And one of the reasons is because I'm going to make sure he doesn't listen because I'm going to make him more and more and more stubborn so that he resists to the very end. Now, I know something. Well, great. So, you know, what's this about, right? Uh, last thing it says in verse 7, it says that Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83. Right? So, so you get into the picture here. Okay, Moses is, is unwilling to do this. God confirms he has no gifts or talent. And not only that, he's going to be old. Right? Like, I'm feeling old enough. I'm nowhere close to 80. Right? So, it, it was 80 years old. And in that culture, it's 
some people, some commentaries have tried to argue that you know his age gave him status and wisdom. Uh, there may be a little truth in that, but I think in the context of what's going on here, it's more to say uh, there was no youthful vigor or strength in, in, in Moses. Like Moses was going to walk in and cut out his chest with Pharaoh and say, hey, let's arm him somewhere. He's 80 years old. Uh, he, he's, he's weak and frail. He's at the point in life where he should be retiring. Uh, they're going back to the Sinai Peninsula and playing ball a lot. Right? So in other words, Moses has no skill. He has no power, no ability. He, he has nothing that God needs in order to pull this off. There's nothing that Moses can do to make this happen. Uh, and so the point is, as, as, as God affirms yet again, that it's God who will do everything. He says, Moses, don't worry about it. You're, in, in some respects, you are irrelevant. You're not going to make this happen. I will do it. Verse 3, I will hurt the girl's heart. And again, I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land. Verse 4, I will lay my hand on Egypt. I will stretch out my hand against them. I will bring the people out of this room. So the point similar there is that God's the one who's going to do it all. And there's nothing about Moses that's going to make this happen. It will be all of God. All of God's power. All of God's doing. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the prelude here to, to, the, to, the, to the plagues. And what is God's? They're actually not all plagues, so technically we don't really want to call them that. They're, they're God's mighty acts. Um, and God says, Yeah, Moses, you're not going to do anything. I'm going to do it all. But, uh, but God, third point is, but God chooses to not do any of it apart from Moses. And God does nothing without Moses. To me, that's just astonishing. What is that about? Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1 um, says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, look, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. About what, the, what does that mean, actually? Right? Uh, literally, you could translate, I, I am causing you to be God. Not actually like God. In the Hebrew, it doesn't have the word like. Straight on, it says, I'm causing you to be God to Pharaoh. Uh, that almost sounds like borderline blasphemy, right? Uh, what, is, what does that mean? And why is that important? Uh, this is one of the things that is certainly new in the account. Right? Never before has, has God stated it in those terms. You're going to be God to bear it. But what it means is this, I, I believe, that um, God is saying, look, I, I have mighty words and commands that I'm going to speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go. That's the cry over and over through the account. Let my people go. And it's not your words. These are my words. These are the words of Yahweh commanding uh, the greatest king in the world at that time to submit and follow the commands and demands of Yahweh. So but those words are going to come not from sky, not from heaven, not in a dream, not in a thundering voice in a cloud. It's going to come through a living, real life person. Because right? so you're going to be God, and you're going to speak the words of God to him. Secondly, you are going to do my great and mighty wonders. Every single one of the plagues is initiated by Moses. God does not work apart from 
the agency, the active involvement of Moses. So Moses becomes uh, the embodiment of God's powerful word and God's powerful working as he deals with Pharaoh. Um, and, and what's significant here is that this is the way God chooses to do his saving work in the world. It's how God chooses to operate. Well, the question is why? Why does God work this way? Well, the answer comes really in uh, um, verse 5. He says, uh, The Egyptians, by this, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. We talked about this word know last week. Uh, that it was uh, that Abraham did not know Yahweh in this way because Abraham didn't what? Experience God's active presence. Or he didn't experience God actually doing these things as the ones who would bring them out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, out of the, through the Exodus. Right? So in one level, Moses knew God, but he didn't know God in this way. Well, it's the same word that's used here. What Moses is saying is, all of Egypt is going to know God. They're going to have a personal, direct encounter with God through what's going to happen. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens because Moses becomes God to Egypt. Right? He is the embodiment, the physical flesh and blood presence of God's word and his working. So imagine this. Imagine that God had just sent all these, all these plagues without a person. Right? It would have been wave after wave of natural disaster. And they wouldn't have identified it with Yahweh. But they would have identified it with their own hearts. But by putting it all through the person of Moses, Moses becomes the, the representative, right? the living body of God in heart. Now, of course, um, the text is very careful to point out that Mo- Moses is not God. Right? He's flawed, he's fallen, he's eight years old, he's the one thing. But because God shows up in him, this is word, this is word through him. God causes him to be like God to Egyptians. And the only thing that Moses has to bring to the table, his big piece in all this, is he is obedient. Right? That's what's required of Moses. He just has to do what he's told. Right? Um, and so he does that. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did exactly as the Lord commanded them. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded That's their part to be and through this, God will make himself known to all of Israel and all of Egypt. Um, so, just to review, God makes his purpose before it all begins, before the plagues start un- un- unfolding. This one more time, God makes clear his purpose and his methods. His purpose is that he would save Israel, but he would do it in a way that all Israel and all of Egypt would know who God is. If God is going to reveal himself, uh, not only Satan, um, through the uh, and through that he, he's going to do it all through Moses. Right? His method is to work his mighty wondrous purposes through everyday ordinary people. Uh, so we're going to have chapter uh, verse eight, um, round one. Uh, God's going to start demonstrating his real power to the Egyptians. Um, he says to Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh says, If you prove yourselves by working a miracle, you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord 
were commanded. Aaron cast on his staff before Pharaoh, and the servant said, You became a servant. A servant. A servant. A servant. A servant. Um, um, so it begins, and now there's uh, how, how many plagues have you done, Arthur? How many? How many? Somebody's going to say, I'll check it down. How many say 10? Okay, well, you're kind of close if you count just the plague. Actually, there's 11 mighty signs and wonders. There's actually 11. Um, and this first one, the casting down the rod, in some ways is its own category. It's different. It's not technically a plague. Right? It's just a, a demonstration of power. And in many ways, it serves as kind of the prologue to the other ten. And it becomes the pattern of how this is going to happen. Um, so it's kind of a warm-up. And, and it, it sets a pattern that Moses is going to deliver a message and a warning. Pharaoh's going to say no. Moses is going to perform some kind of sign or wonder. Uh, sometimes Pharaoh's magicians will copy it. But in the end, Pharaoh will grow more and more stubborn and resistant. So this becomes a pattern. So on one hand, it's a it's, it's a it's a prelude to what's going to be coming. Uh, so most of the American women, they do just that. Uh, it doesn't say that they uh, speak the word love like people know, but it's assumed. They go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, look like God says, Yahweh says, don't let people go. And, and then so Pharaoh, maybe he's a little bored, he's an entertainment. He says, okay, show me what you got. Okay, you claim to speak for Yahweh. Let's see what you got, right? So, uh, Aaron, following the instructions, takes his staff and throws it down, uh, and it becomes a, a servant. Now, uh, first thing, kind of just to make sure we're all understanding the truth of the story, the word used here for serpent is a different word than the word used earlier when, when Moses does this at the burning bush and with the elders, right? Um, before, the word was specifically a snake. Right, so you get a picture of a snake, perhaps about the size of a rod. Right? But the word that's used here is the word um, that's used throughout Scripture to describe a dragon or a sea monster. Right, so this time when he throws down the rod, it doesn't just turn into a little snake. Okay? It turns into something much more impressive. Now, it doesn't say what it is. It could have been a lot of things. Uh, some commentators suggest it was a crocodile. That would have been impressive. Um, some kind of real dragon, that would have been even more impressive. Um, at the very least, if it was a snake, it was not your average, everyday little snake. It was a huge snake. It was a huge snake. But if you know farther on in the story where uh, their snake eats the other, their reptile, serpent eats all the other ones, okay, it's, it's got the capacity to like, devour. I've always tried to picture this happening you know, with little snakes. One little snake might be another big snake. You ever watch a snake eat something? It takes forever. Hours. I can see this going on. I don't think so. I don't think it happened that way. I think it was a devouring reptile, whatever it was. And it gobbled up the enemy. Um, so that's the picture, right? Not the same as in the bush. Okay, we're up the game a little. Um, and of course, uh, in, in our age of skepticism, you know, there's the thing well, how is that possible? And you have actually read commentaries and a lot of people who will try to explain how this is naturally possible, right? Uh, and one of the most creative ones is apparently if you take a snake and you pinch it in the right place in the back of the head, it will become paralyzed. So the idea is that Moses came in with this pinched snake that looked like a rod, right? When he threw it down, poof, it wasn't paralyzed anymore and 
can say that. Okay. Well, um, Seth, that's an age we Here's the thing. If you believe that God is the creator God of the universe, right, who created everything out of nothing by speaking it into being, turning a snake into a dragon or a crocodile or whatever is, is not that difficult. Right? Uh, either God is the, is the creator God who can do anything he wants, right? uh, or he's not God. Okay, we're dealing here with the great I am. He is not limited by, um, by physics. Right? He doesn't have to go, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do that and buy by the laws of chemistry. Right? Okay, he broke the laws of chemistry, he can do whatever he wants with them. Right? He doesn't have to follow, um, follow the laws of nature. He can do whatever he wants. He can transform a stick into a car that was easy. And it's not a cheap trick. Uh, and some of the, the same commentators will say when he turns the water into blood, it was just red dirt that fell into the river and turned into kind of a money bread. Right? Um, no. These are written and scripture with the emphasis that they are supernatural miracles. Okay, they are far beyond anything ex- explainable naturally. Right? These are not cheap magicians. It is God's mighty power to transform. Um, so the story goes on. We don't quite remember the story. But also, in his wise men and sorcerers in, and these people, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Uh, Pharaoh's a skeptic, and uh, he doesn't want to believe. He doesn't want to accept that, that this is God's power. And when you don't want to believe, when you're a skeptic, what do you do? Well, you, you call the experts, you call in the wise men, you call in the smart people, and you say to them, show me how they did this. And the idea is that if you can duplicate the trick, if you can remanufacture the magic, you can say, see, it's not all that big of a deal. Anybody can do this. And that's exactly what happens. The magicians come in, and they uh, duplicate the trick. However, they don't they don't do it by the same power that Moses did. Okay, they do not transform literally their sticks into crocodiles or snakes or whatever. Uh, what they do, it says, is by their secret arts, tricky word that means basically by their, their tricks. Right? They're good magicians. They do just like illusionists do today. You know, they can take a bunny and turn it into their, their um, lovely assistant, Philip. Um, uh, do they actually do that? Well, do you believe that? I have some land I'd love to sell you. Um, no, they don't really do that. Right? It's all a slight of hand. It's all illusion. Right? It's, all, it's a trick. Well, the magicians of Paris, they were able to pull out that trick. Um, and while they didn't have the same kind of power, God had to transform things literally. What they did have was the power to deceive. Power to deceive. By the way, I don't think Satan has that power to transform. But I do think Satan has very much so the power to deceive. The power to make things look as though it's this way. He's he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And he cause them into believing, oh yeah, anybody can do this. Right? It's not 
Supernatural power is just a magic trick. But the reality is, every, in every age there are skeptics, and in every age, skeptics need magicians. Same thing is true in our day, right? There are people who do not want to uh, acknowledge God. They are, like Pharaoh, growing more and more stubborn in their heart. And when God does it, when God works miracles, when God is, is moving and revealing himself to them, where do they turn? Well, they turn to the wise men of our day. And who are the wise men of our day? Who are our modern magicians? Well, it's not the, the people who do magic tricks. I think the, the modern-day magicians who will explain away the miracles are scientists. Science is the modern-day magician in our world. And uh, they, they are able to oftentimes duplicate through science the supernatural. And if they can't duplicate it, um, they will explain how it can be done naturally. So there's a huge effort, uh, a huge um, attack on scripture, right, where they're constantly saying, well, that, that can be explained by natural causes. That can be explained by science. And the skeptics of our day grab hold of that, and they call it wisdom. Um, and where they can't duplicate it, where they can't explain it by natural causes, they will deny that it ever happened. Um, so we have to be very careful how much. And I'm not saying all scientists are you know, haters. I'm not saying everybody who believes in science is wicked. All I'm saying is we got to be careful that we don't use science counter of God who just declared himself supernatural. Because at the bottom of it, uh, these same people will say, you know, Moses just paralyzed the snake in the back of the neck. A Jonah could not have been swallowed by a whale. And ultimately, Jesus could not have rose again. Um, God, I believe, has proven otherwise. Uh, and he will prove every skeptic a fool as we will soon see with the uh, wise men of Pharaoh. So what happens next? Well, I love this. So they pull out their magic trick, and at this point, the room's got to be kind of weird. I don't know how many of these wise men showed up, but they're all throwing down sticks, they're all turning into serpents and dragons and crocodiles and snakes. I'm thinking this is not going to be a fun place to just hang around, right? Uh, I'm not really particularly fond of snakes or reptiles. Um, This is becoming quite a circus act as there's snakes and critters and in the midst of all this chaos, um, Pharaoh has gotten the evidence and proof he needs that this is this is not real. I don't have to believe this, right? And in the midst of all that, it says uh, Aaron's stick, his stick now turned crocodile, starts gobbling up the opponents. That's uh, awesome. But I want that kind of I want that kind of power. Okay. Moses wins, but it says that even at that, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Um, so this becomes a summary of what's about to play out in this. We'll see in the next two weeks as, as the plays unfolding. Uh, and it really is a symbol of what Moses is. Moses is um, like the shepherd's staff. When, there's nothing magical in and of itself about the rod that they threw down, the staff they threw down. It's a stick. 
But God can transform it into something that can devour the enemy. What we'll see happen over the next few weeks is God transforms plain old ordinary Moses into a devouring force. And in the end of it, he will be a God to Pharaoh who will devour him. Moses absolutely will overcome his enemy by the power of God. The staff is turned into a serpent. It's a picture of the way that God works. It is God's purpose and plan that his word and his work would be embodied in everyday, ordinary vessels like you and I. Uh, so let me apply this briefly in two ways. So first, uh, this really is a, an amazing picture of Jesus, right? who is God incarnate. Jesus is the very embodiment of all that God is in word and deed. Um, and I believe this is the way God worked out the Old Testament because it would be the way he would ultimately work out his salvation in Jesus. And the greatest exodus of all, and the greatest rescuer of all, uh, as God chose to pour himself into human flesh. John 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did God do this? Well, he says right here, he poured himself, he embodied his word in a person. And the word came and became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could see his glory. But God is going to make himself known to us, not by doing these things by doing it in the person of Jesus. Um, and just like Moses, Jesus becomes the living incarnation of God in word and deed. Um, he is the living word. Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has what? He has spoken to us by his Son. So it doesn't mean that Jesus, it means two things. It means that Jesus, of course, spoke God's words. But it means more than that. It means that Jesus' very life spoke God's word and his message. He was a very embodiment, the living incarnation of all that God's word represents. And so when we look at Jesus' life, it's not just the things that he said that speaks to us. The very way he lived is a revelation of the character and wonder of God. Likewise, uh, Jesus is the very work of God. Right? I love that John 15, 19, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but he, only, he, only, he does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. likewise. So Jesus is the Word incarnate. He's also the work of God incarnate. He lives out and does God's will. Um, and of course, that same supreme in the cross where God's great act of saving is carried out in Jesus himself. Uh, and what's really interesting when you link this with uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 7, verse 7, in the midst of this passage we're looking at, uh, Moses says this, or I'm sorry, God says this to Moses, I will lay my hand on Egypt and I will bring my hopes. I will, I will perform my exodus. My people of children... The people, the children of Israel, I will bring them out of the land of Egypt. How? By great acts of judgment. 
In other words, God will affect the Exodus by pouring out judgment upon Egypt. Uh, Moses was the deliverer who brought about God's rescue by bringing down God's judgment on Egypt. But what did Jesus do? Jesus is our deliverer who rescued us by taking our judgment on himself. Amazing. He saved us not by judging others. He saved us by bringing on himself God's judgment for our sin. Of course, in the end, Jesus devoured his enemy. Uh, he devoured death, he devoured sin, he devoured grief. And uh, when we read again from Philippians 3 to 11, when he found in, in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every nation bow in heaven and earth. And every time you confess that Jesus Christ is in So Jesus is uh, God incarnate. God came to us, communicated himself, himself to us in person. And of course, Jesus rose from the dead, demonstration of God's power. Jesus has ascended to heaven. So what happens now? Right? Jesus is no longer physically here as the revelation of God. For most people in the world, they're not going to read the Gospels, they're not going to read the Bible, they're not going to encounter the revelation of Christ in the Word. The last phase of this is that you and I are going to be what? The body of Christ. We are to be God to the world of our age. God still chooses to work and reveal Himself through people and through the world. We are the body of Christ. Um, we are to be the embodiment of His Word and the embodiment of His Word. Uh, which means not only do we speak the message of the Gospel, not only do we tell people about who God is, but the Word should be transforming our lives to the point that we are living it out. Right? If people want to know what the Bible teaches, they should be able to look at our life and say, that's what the Bible teaches. That's kind of scary, isn't it? How many of you can say, yeah, I pretty much live out all of Scripture. Oh, I can't say that. And again, it's the principle of Moses, I'm a stick, I'm nothing. But God wants to do a transforming work in our life where we become more and more transformed to the image of likeness of Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the world. How do we do that? Well, by pouring God's word into our heart and mind. And then, the one thing we do is what? One thing Moses did, he was obedient. One thing we do is we're obedient. And that doesn't mean we're obedient to carry out some duty. It means that we strive with all of our heart to please God by living out Scripture and living it out every day. Secondly, we're in the embodiment of God's word, God's powerful word. Um, let me just kind of end with this thought. I would love to be the kind of person who, you know, I've got my stick in my hand, and when I point my rod at the sky, the sun goes dark. People come to pray for me that they could be the worst possible disease, and I pray for them, and they instantly go. I would love to do that. 
Uh, I would love to pray for you after the service. So far, that hasn't been my experience, though. Still want to pray for you, but I'm making no promises that you're going to have like this instantaneous, miraculous healing. Anybody out here got that power? Please come talk to me, because I'd love to have you pray for people. Most of us would say, you know, I don't, I don't see myself walking on water all that often. I don't feel like I have that kind of power that I can demonstrate the powerful work of God. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I think that's a weird to be the embodiment both of word and of word. And word and deed versus even word. What do we do? Well, it's up to God to do the miracles. I'm going to keep praying for them. But here's what we can do. We can align We can serve people. We can care for those who are uh, broken and needy. We can listen to people who are struggling and, and wanting to get up. We can show God's love and kindness to the poor and the oppressed and the weak. Um, and God will use that. God will work mightily when we do that. Uh, this last week, um, on Wednesday night, uh, some of you may have seen, some of you guys saw there, uh, this uh, ceremony for the king, to remember the king, and uh, our foundation, the Benedictine Foundation. Uh, and some other Zoe homes there. We, we got volunteer to help. Um, and honestly, it was a great privilege. Uh, I don't think we could have said no, but it really was an honor to, and we didn't want to say no, we wanted to be there and serve. And what we did is we passed out bottles of free water and collected trash for 35,000 high people who showed up. It was super easy. Um, and uh, it was astonishing the response we got from hundreds of high people that saw these, you know, white people and picking up trash. Uh, they were, they'd come and they'd take our picture of the trash bag. <laughs> wow. Wow. And these kids say over and over again, wow, oh, that's amazing. Because we, we go, oh, you just serve that. You serve that. There's this power in that. Jesus came You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.